Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Happy Friday and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and it is Memorial Day weekend. Of course, this is the unofficial kickoff to summer and the weather has been so beautiful in New York lately. I am so excited for this summer season, namely because of everything we've been through the last year. I feel like there is this bright light at the end of the tunnel. I'm so excited. Today, we have a great kickoff to this summer season with a Food Network regular. She's talking all about her casual, fun-loving approach to cooking and how she keeps it easy AF in the kitchen. You know her as a judge on Chopped and from her appearances on Iron Chef America, Beat Bobby Flay, and Tournament of Champions, it's the always lovely Amanda Freitag. Amanda, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. We have a lot to talk about. We do. We do. I am excited to chat with you for a number of reasons. Obviously, we're going to talk all about Chopped and Food Network, but I came across something about you that you and I both have in common, and that is our aversion to working with sea urchin. I always feel like this is an ingredient that I'm supposed to be obsessed with, and I'm just not. And I'm wondering if you kind of feel the same way. Yeah, I don't even I don't like to eat it. I don't like to work with it. I don't like anything about it, which is terrible because sometimes I keep that a little bit of a secret when I'm with other chefs who are in love with it or make a sauce with it or, you know, we've had it as an ingredient in many, many competitions and somehow, some way I've escaped it. So fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't mean to to out you to everybody, but um, I just felt like a a kindred spirit relationship to you as far as that. That ingredient goes. I did try to work with it in an uni carbonara, and I'll just leave it at that and let you know that that 
kind of ruined it for me forever. Um, <laughs> but but uh, yes, I don't recommend trying to make it into a sauce if you already have a, a slight aversion to the very seafood, uh, oceany taste uh, that is uni. Anyways, I'm excited to talk to you and I, I'm excited to, to kind of hear your journey. And we're going to kind of start with the, that personal story. So I want to start with Amanda AF, which is something that you've leaned into as a hashtag, a cooking series. Obviously, it's your initials, but also a lighthearted play on that as far as the slang term. But I'm curious, if you were to define Amanda AF, what would that be? Like, what would your friends say make you, you? Well, I'm finally using my initials in a proper way. (laughs) I think because sometimes what may not come across, let's say, on the judges table is that I am extreme and silly and fun and, you know, always laughing, always the life of the party, always the one who's, you know, wanting to turn up the volume. So I don't think that always comes across. So everything I do is usually pretty extreme, very detailed, um, a bit of a perfectionist. So anything that's sort of, I think AF to me means you're doing it all the way. You're going to the highest level. It's not, you know, it's not mediocre. (laughs) So, so you were you were basically born into these initials in all all shapes and forms because it sounds like that really does. It's not just a fun play; it is it is something that kind of uh, defines who you are. So, I think that's pretty cool. I, I read that growing up, your knack for cooking wasn't necessarily something you were pursuing right away, but it was something that was recognized by everyone from your grandparents to your high school home ec teacher, and and they really were the ones that encouraged you to attend the Culinary Institute of America. What do you think your your home ec teacher saw in you back then that made her believe that you were destined for this career in in a culinary world? Well, I don't know if she could see the whole future, but (laughs) I I think she saw that I had a real interest in it and that I didn't know where to go with that at that time. You know, that was not a career in this country that was regarded as a highly respected career in Europe and France and other parts of the world it was, but here it was still sort of blue collar labor. And I think she took me down a path of introducing me to the Culinary Institute of America that was honoring this tradition of being a chef and having that be well respected. So I started working in a restaurant as well when I was in high school, which and I didn't know she worked in a restaurant on the weekends. She was in the restaurant industry as well. So she understood the love for the chaos of the industry. Do you remember those conversations with her? Like what about what she was kind of telling you made you realize, all right, this is something like I could really do. Yeah, because I was working in a restaurant at the time and so was she and it was new for me and I really loved it, but I didn't know everything about it and I wanted to know more. You know, my brother was a high achieving academic. My other brother was super smart. They all were going on to college and that's just not something I wanted to do. I wanted to really just pursue this and only this. And, you know, going to culinary school was the way to do it. And I think that, I mean, I've kept in touch with her. Her name is Joan Levine and... um She's proud, I hope. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) And excited to see, you know, how that path went. I mean, she's obviously had such a huge impact on you. Do you think that thinking back to, you know, her as a teacher and as a mentor, has that somewhat influenced maybe your love of teaching and and your love of inspiring people to kind of get started in the kitchen? Yeah, you know, I didn't, I don't think it it took me a while to realize I have a little bit of a teacher in me. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, when I first came out of school, you're working hard as a line cook, a prep cook, you know.
know. And then when you become a sous chef and a chef, you have to teach people. You have to train them. You know, you're only as good as that team. So if you're not training properly, you know, you're making your life a lot harder. So in restaurants, I was always training. So I knew that I had to be really good at that to make it work well. And especially if you were a line cook, let's say you were working the salad station, but you wanted to go to the meat, you got to get that guy trained on salad so you can go over to the next station, you know? So, and then as the years went by, you know, I did a lot of cooking demonstrations and I realized again, how much I love that because people really are afraid to say they don't know how to cook or they don't know how to cut an onion or they don't know how to whip cream. And so I try to open the door for them to say that and really help them get in the kitchen. So to me, it's really rewarding to see people learning and, and doing something they wouldn't have done, you know, just because maybe they spent time with me making a recipe. Yeah, I mean, I love that approach to cooking because, I mean, you are a classically trained, world-renowned chef, but you do have this very somewhat casual, but also very approachable attitude in the kitchen. Is that something you developed along the way? Are you always kind of just an easygoing person by nature? I'm easygoing, but you know, as you know, the restaurant industry can be very stressful and there's pressure, but I do think you catch a lot more flies with honey. And I think that if you can really get somebody in a comfortable place, they're going to work at their best that way. Um, and you get them confident and you reward them, you know, with whatever it may be that they're looking for, whether they want to learn more or they want, you know, another position or they want more money. It's, you know, I think it's really, you know, teaching and teaching with a, a soft voice can really make a difference. But there are times where you got to get angry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, why, why do you think, though, that people are so intimidated by cooking or, or just kind of even making that that first step? Or like you said, admitting that they don't really know how to cut an onion or do something that they feel should just be, you know, universally known. The kitchen's a scary place. For me, I didn't realize it because I've been in it for so long. But, you know, there's very sharp knives. There's fire. There's heat. <laughs> I mean, you, you forget about all of those things that are going on in the kitchen. And I think that people sometimes feel like the food is in control of them. You know, the recipe's in control of them. You're in control. You got this. This is all you, you know? So I think, again, everybody has that perfectionist thing. It has to come out perfect. It has to look good. I have to take a picture of it for Instagram. No, you don't. You know, you can make it, you can mess it up, or you can make it and then make it your own. I think there's a lot of trial and error that goes into learning how to make a dish. Um, and I just want people to start because if you never start, you're never going to get there. So just get in there, get in there. I mean, you mentioned Instagram, you know, and we've seen kind of this, especially over the last year, this this social media phenomenon where, you know, people are, you know, displaying their their kitchen creations on whether it's Instagram or TikTok or or what have you. And kind of this this generation of like things going viral and and that kind of thing. And I'm wondering if like what you think of all that is that, you know, something that is going to help people get in there and maybe like try something that they hadn't thought that they could do? Or is it or is it push them a little bit further away from it? I mean, I think it's really helpful. Uh, visually, for me, you know, I love cookbooks. And I grew up looking at cookbooks. And I would always want to see a picture of the recipe, right? What is it supposed to look like? What is even the process? I, I loved when cookbooks started to come out with the step by step pictures of the process. And I think it's extremely helpful. Yes, it can be intimidating when there's, you know, pictures uh, that are done with food photography and lights and food stylists and people don't know that and they think that they could make it look like that but i think pictures and visualization of 
cooking and dishes is very helpful. Um, and, you know, I, ha I give props to any young cooks or chefs right now who are working and taking pictures of what they're doing at the same time. You know, I'm an old school person. I never had my phone in the kitchen with me, you know, so that's actually harder to do and really get that done so that people can see what you're doing. I think you, you know, you are doing that in a way, in another way, you know, visually um, on social media through your series, Easy AF, kind of demystifying this cooking for people and making them feel like it is something they can do. Tell us a little bit more about uh, this series that that you have been, you know, kind of producing. It seems like from your home for um, for people out there. <laughs> I just started to obviously make these videos with my iPhone. <laughs> it was the need and the want to connect with people through food, right? You know, I always want to do that. I get to do that on Chopped and all of the Food Network shows that I do. And, you know, I wanted to do it on another level where I was teaching them the basics, right? Because I do think, as I've learned over the years, people want the basics. And, you know, I work closely with my director of communications, Kedzie Teller, and he's younger than I am, maybe not as good of a cook. <laughs> Great with graphics and social media and other things. And, you know, using him as a litmus of saying, well, do you want to see how to make caramelized onions? Well, yeah, I don't know how to do that. Do you want to see how to make a fried egg? Yeah, I don't know how to do that. And then I'd be like, okay, let's do souffle or this or that. And he'd be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Back it up. Because as a chef, you want to show off, right? I don't want to just make the simple things. But really, the things that are the most requested are the things like the fried egg, the whipped cream, the mashed potatoes. Yeah, I would love to do other things and I'd love to show off. But at the same time, I want to give people something that will literally make dinner that night, you know, that they will actually go in their kitchen and do it. That's more satisfying than just blowing them away with what I know. You know, I want to know that they did it and I want to see a picture of it. <laughs> And do they do, do what's the feedback been like? Do people, you know, kind of try to recreate some of the stuff that you're teaching and, and take a picture and tag you or send it to you and that kind of thing? Absolutely. The feedback has been incredible. We see a lot of, you know, dishes that people have made after they've watched a video. We see a lot of comments you know, people requesting other things, you know, uh, I'm their go-to, right? I, I am their teacher. So they, they want to, if they've had trouble, you know, cutting a piece of chicken or learning how to carve a turkey, they're going to ask me for it, which is so great because then, you know, the feedback is, is good because there's a million things you could do, right? You know, you could do anything with food. So I'd love to hear what people want to, want to learn. Absolutely. I mean, on the other other side of the spectrum, um, you know, you live in New York City, have worked at some of New York's most acclaimed restaurants. When you think about maybe that that more elevated style that that we're not seeing on on your Instagram series and, and your social media series, uh, what kind of influence has the city of New York had on you as a chef and, and your style of cooking? New York City has influenced me tremendously. You know, I this is where I cut my teeth as a chef in my career. And I've worked with incredible chefs along the way, all different kinds of cuisines, anything from Thai, French to Mediterranean to Italian, you know, to American comfort food. So, you know, this is where also I used to come as a young cook and eat in all the different restaurants and see what the chefs were doing and try everything and 
and want to know how they did it and want to recreate it. And that was that was a way that a lot of, you know, a lot of the chefs that I came up with in the city, you know, chefs like Scott Conant, chefs like Aron Sanchez, Mark, Jeffrey, Alex, we were all working at the same time in restaurants. We were all young cooks. Think, picture that. In different restaurants around the city, we were all these little young cooks that were trying to learn and see what the, the big chefs were doing. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, we learned by... I learned by eating. I learned by by learning. You know, I would just watch what the other chefs were doing in the kitchen next to me, or obviously the chefs that I was working for. But, you know, New York City is a melting pot of ethnicities and cultures. And, you know, it's why I still love it and live here, because there's nothing like it. And I couldn't get an experience like this, in my mind, anywhere else in, in the time that I came up in restaurants. I completely agree with you. I mean, do you have a favorite that you can mention or is that is that too hard because you're you're leaving too many people out? <laughs> you know, people ask that question all the time. That's really difficult because if you ask me today, you know, what's your favorite restaurant? It's the one I I'm craving, right? Like uh-huh. I'm, I'm craving Cafe China because I want Szechuan, you know, uh, that's my favorite restaurant today. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow it might be pasta at Residora. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't know because it's so difficult. I would never just pick one. I can't. I can't do it. Speaking of restaurants, Amanda tells us all about her extensive restaurant menu collection and how she obtains them. Plus, we talk all about Chopped and Tournament of Champions. That's coming up next. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. On the subject of restaurants, I understand that you also collect restaurant menus, which I think is so awesome because I always I started doing that at one point, but I never had a good system for keeping them all in one place. So I feel like they would either get lost or damaged. So first of all, I'm curious where you keep them, because I'm picturing like a big trapper keepers style binder that we, you know, we had growing up. <laughs> uh, first of all, when you said a good system, I was thinking about how to steal them. You need a really big purse. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you don't ask, you just take them. <laughs> Most of the time I ask. Um, there were moments where I didn't ask. That was a long time ago. But I have actually one of those storage bins, a mm. big plastic storage bin that has a top and sealed and it's in there. Some are in folders. Some are so big that they have to be laid out. But, you know, I'm actually kind of heartbroken because I know that we're coming into this next generation of uh, restaurants without menus, restaurants with, you know, QR codes. Um, So I'm really glad that I had that weird little habit of stealing menus because some of them have beautiful artwork on them. You know, some of them have the names of the chefs and the cooks in the kitchen. Some of them have little stories and anecdotes like menus to me were really important and really gave you a sense of what the restaurant was like you know not just the food and the experience but the menu to me was just that invitation that first introduction that is so true um how how many do you think you have ah god I probably have at least 200 menus. Wow. At least. Which one would you grab in a fire if, uh, <laughs> if you could only grab one? Oh, my God. I have a beautiful menu from Boulay in New York City. I mean, it, was, it looks like the front is hand-painted. And I, rem- I can remember that meal. If you were to ask me about that meal, I could tell you today. But also, there's, I did an internship at a restaurant in Paris called Arpege, and I have a menu from there. So I, those, those two. I, I, I get two. I get to grab two. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Well, I mean, you are so organized, so you could easily grab the entire bin in a fire and not have to choose just one. You kind of mentioned a, a couple of these that, that hold you know, special or specific memories for you. I mean, take us back to one of those. What, what, what about the menu kind of brings back that entire restaurant experience like to the front of your brain? Well, I remember eating at Boulay in the early 90s. And I had never really had an experience like that. I don't know if anybody who's listening remembers this restaurant, but when you, it was in Tribeca. And when you walked in, there was a big, huge wooden door and you would open the door. And in the foyer, there would be crates and baskets of apples and quince and the the perfume from that. You just walked into that. And it was instantly stimulating your senses. You, you were like, oh my God. And you were taken away. To me, restaurants that take you to a whole other place are genius. And then, you know, the whole experience. So just sitting there with this big, huge menu, again, which we will probably not see too many of in the future, and looking at everything and visualizing everything and trying to decide what to have. And some of the colors on the menu, to me now in my memory, match some of what we ate. And it was just a journey of food that I had never experienced And it was so inspiring. It just made me want to cook every single one of those dishes. I love that. I love, I mean, I love, as you were talking, I was trying to remember if there's, you know, a menu that did that for me. And uh, I remember going to Central in, in Lima, Peru, and, and they 
And because of Peru's, you know, different elevations and and different types of topography, they did their menu by like elevation of where that ingredient came from, which I thought was like a really cool way to just tell the story of Peru, but also like of their restaurant, which was really neat. I have to I have to find it. It's somewhere up in storage. I need to find it. <laughs> They're fun to look at. No, it's true. And it's it's such a good point, you know, that we are kind of entering this phase where either the, they're going to be very easy to take because, you know, they're going to throw them away anyways. Um, or like you said, the QR codes and maybe we won't we won't have them anymore, which is sad. But that's cool that you have such a, a treasure trove of those memories just sitting around that you can kind of leaf through at any any one time. Well, speaking of restaurants, I know you you recently opened up a cafe in Dallas called Rise in Time. And I know that it's obviously a very tough time to be opening restaurants. So how did that project come about? Well, clearly we were working on it way before the pandemic. So it's a cafe and it's in this really beautiful area of Dallas downtown in the AT&T Discovery District. So there's multiple other restaurants in this food hall and AT&T revamped this whole area and there's this beautiful outdoor seating, huge screen to show movies and sports events. So the whole thing was going to be this fantastic new place to go. And my last visit down there was on March 10th of 2020. I had just flown home and I was ready to go back. We we're just fixing some things in the kitchen and tweaking some things on the menu, tasting coffee, interviewing people, tasting pastries. And I haven't been back since. But the great part is the team down there is unbelievable and they are killing it they're making beautiful food people are loving it coffee was a big deal for me so we have maddie our barista we have patrick our chef and brian and adrian and kevin are all making it exactly what we wanted it to be and so i couldn't be more proud to have my name be on that a part of that and I can't wait to get back down there. <laughs> yes, I know you mentioned that date and it's just, you know, it is such a triggering time because that's like literally, you know, the day before everything really shut down, the world shut down, you know, to be honest. And and kind of on that note, I know one of the things that the restaurant has been doing is providing, you know, free meals to frontline workers under this idea that we're we're all in this together, which is so true. Why was that so important to both you and also the restaurant group that you you mentioned is behind this project? Yeah, there are multiple different ways that Rise in Time contributed when the weather was terrible and everybody was suffering in Texas. We contributed to World Central Kitchen because they were giving out food all around the area and also to a women's shelter. And we're really involved in that and helping them get back on their feet and making them food and bringing that to their homes. And, you know, obviously as chefs, we feed people, right? That's in our nature. Part of what we were talking about in my in my growing up life of food, you know, in my family life, food was everything. And I say, I've said this before, but I know people can relate. If you're not feeling good, you would eat some food. If you're happy, let's eat. You know, if you're tired, maybe you should eat something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even if you didn't feel well, if you had a stomach ache, oh, you should probably have a little cracker. And food was everything. So to me, food is everything. And to think of anybody suffering without food, anybody feeling hungry and not even being able to function because of that is a real soft spot for me. So it's my it's in my nature and I know a lot of chefs it's in their nature to feed. We just want to feed people and we used to do it for just just for entertainment and now I'm so glad I can use any kind of platform that I have to feed people for survival to help them get through the hard times. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you said it really well. It is it is something that we all have in common. You know, it's something that unifies all of us is this idea of, you know, sitting down and, and breaking bread together. So I think that making sure that that can still happen in a really tough time is is super important. Um, I, I know fans are listening, going to want to know uh, about Food Network as well. So as we kind of transition from this personal life, this growing up life um, into your career as a, a Food Network personality, I guess, give us the condensed version of how that came about. Like, how did you go from Culinary Institute of America to Food Network? Wow. Uh, it was multiple restaurant jobs leading up to one where I was a chef at a restaurant called The Harrison in Tribeca, New York City, a beloved restaurant that had opened in 2001, but I was hired to take over in 2008, a really difficult time in the world. We had to pump up the press a little bit, right? And so I had to change the style of the restaurant, change the entire menu, get a New York Times review, which in 2008 was still a big deal. I got two stars, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Congrats. And so, you know, a very competitive industry. You know, I would go on the Today Show, Good Morning America, just try and promote the restaurant. We'd go to many different events. And we had a a PR team with us. It was Philip Baltz, Baltz & Company. And our representative was Jesse Gerstein. And Jesse and I spoke all the time because there was so much going on, so much activity about the restaurant. And one day I got a call from somebody at the Food Network to the restaurant. And I was in the little chef's office under the stairs. And if anybody is a restaurant worker, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And they they said, Chef, you have a call. And I picked it up and it was somebody from the Food Network asking me if I wanted to compete on Iron Chef America. And I said, thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> oh my God, because first of all, that wasn't at all my style. You know, I always thought it was Iron Chef America is like exploding ketchup bombs and caramel cages and foam and smoke. And I was a little more, uh, you know, comfort food. And so Jesse called maybe 10 minutes later and he said, hey, did you just get a call from the Food Network? <laughs> And did you just say no? And I was like, yes. And yes, I I was, of course, very honest with him about the whole thing. And he's like, listen, he's like, I think it would be great for you to do it. And he's like, I think it'd be great for the restaurant. And he's like, I really am going to persuade you to, to do this. And I'm so glad he did, obviously. And I competed against Bobby Flay on Iron Chef America in <laughs> 2008, I believe. Yeah, it, it was 2008. I don't know if it aired until 2009, but it was very exciting, very nerve wracking. Luckily, my parents got to come because you could still have an audience at that time. And you know, I remember seeing my dad and he was like, why are you so nervous? And I was like, I don't know. This is crazy. This is make or break, you know? And he's like, you're going to leave here and you're going to go to work. <laughs> you're going to go to work. You have dinner service to do. He's like, you know what you're doing. Just have fun. So the minute he said, just have fun, it changed everything for me. And I just had a blast. I just had a blast with it. It was, it was fun and it was a great opportunity. And so much more came after that. Absolutely. I mean, by the way, going up against Bobby Flay in your first ever <laughs> Food Network experience, appearance, I mean, that's that's nothing uh, to to shy away from. And you lost by one point. Uh, I mean, uh. does that haunt you? <laughs> well, it haunts me because it happens to me quite often, actually. <laughs> really? Well, last year I lost Tournament of Champions by one point. Mm, that's right. I don't know if it's better to lose by one point or to lose by 10. I, either way, it's not so great. But, uh, you know, years later, I came back and I competed against Bobby on Beat Bobby Flay and I was able to get some redemption there. Absolutely. How did it feel to to even the score? It felt great. 
And again, now, you know, I'm so lucky to, you know, be a part of the Food Network family and, and, you know, call Bobby a friend, you know, after all these years. So it was really a friendly competition, but obviously I won and I was happy to win. (laughs) Yeah, you did. I I actually, I actually remember this episode because it was a, it was a chopped theme episode and, and you made, what was the dish that you made? Because it was kind of something obscure that he had never heard of. Well, and I think that's the strategy, right? Uh, (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's a dish called Fessenjun. And it's a Persian dish with um, chicken thighs, pomegranate, molasses, and walnuts that my dear friends who are Persian that I cook with all the time and when I visit them taught me how to make. So I pretty much figured he didn't know it, although he got really close. He got real. I, I was worried there for a second, um, but he did. <laughs> he did, you know, joke around with me about it. He's like, I've, he's like, what? Where did you come up with this? <laughs> <laughs> I think the only reason it was close is because it has pomegranate in it. And that's, that's in his wheelhouse. I think you're, you hit it on the nose. I think the, the strategy is to, you know, try to pick something that, that he doesn't know and or maybe has never heard of in that case. But as you mentioned, you are you are a judge on Chopped, a beloved judge at that. Um, we've had Ted and Alex on the podcast previously talked a lot about the show I'm excited to hear your experience though what what is your favorite part about being a judge on that show I mean you mentioned Ted and Alex first of all the family the chopped family we've been together for so long now it's so fantastic you know we've been doing this for almost 12 years we've grown up together in a weird way so I just love being around everybody. People have been married, had children. You know, this is a big deal to have this amazing family of people work together. But what I always talk about is how it's still exciting. It's still exciting every day when we come in, we sit at the judges table, four chefs who we've never met before walk into that room and anything can happen. And I mean, anything can happen. And, you know, kudos to Sarah Hornby, our culinary producer who puts together these baskets over the years, how many different combinations. And that makes a difference, you know, between the baskets, the chefs, their skill level, their desire, their nervousness. Like there's always this really high energy in the room. And you would think after so many episodes that would go away. And it doesn't. It's always there. I'm always so excited to see what's going to (laughs) happen. Do you have a a favorite memory of all time? Or is that just like the restaurant uh, question? Too too hard to pin one down. There's so many. It ebbs and flows from, you know, delicious bites of food to disasters to, you know, tears. Uh, There's been so many emotions in that kitchen. You know, people bring so much to the table when they walk into that kitchen. I've been amazed and disgusted. I, I, I'm sure I won't I won't make you call anybody out on on worse worse bite that you've had. But d- are you able to sympathize, you think, with the contestants because you've been on the other side of it before, because you've been that competitor and, and maybe, you know, not one when when you wanted to? Yeah, I mean, I think I uh, my judging style is really based on the fact that I've been on the other side of that table. And I always want to make sure I give a comment that win or lose, they're going to walk away learning something. Right. And that's that teacher in me, you know, because that's what happened to me through competition. I competed a lot, you know, Iron Chef, then next Iron Chef, the next Iron Chef again and chopped and all these competitions. I feel like every time I go through a round, even one round of battle, I've learned something. I learned what not to do. I learned what to do. I've amazed myself what I can do under pressure, you know, and then you start to learn little tips and tricks. So 
I just want to make sure that whatever comments I'm giving them, it, it gives them a little insight into what, what happened and what we're tasting. Because, you know, nine times out of 10, the chef that's walking up to that table, they know what went wrong. So, you know, I'm not going to remind them of what they already know. I'm trying to give them a piece of information about maybe how the flavors came together or, or something, you know. So I, I think of myself as the nice judge and the fair judge um, because I always really want to just give them information instead of make them cry. <laughs> I can see that. I can see you as like the welcoming judge, um, the one that they might look to if they're feeling a little bit uh, nervous. But speaking of competing, you were just on Tournament of Champions as a number one seed. Unfortunately, got beat out by Tiffany Faison. Anything you would do differently in hindsight? Oh my God, there's so many things I would have done differently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would have used curry paste. I mean, anybody who watched it knows I used curry powder instead of paste. I made a lot of rookie mistakes, although it was clear close. I really did love my dish. I have to say this time around, I think because of environment and what we had all gone through in the, the last year, I wasn't my same edgy competitive self. You know what I mean? I was in this very loving mood. I was so happy to see Tiffany and Manit and everybody that was in that kitchen and to see Guy and to like be a part of that this team of people. I remember walking out when we were first all together and it was like, Guy was calling us superheroes. He's like culinary superheroes. And, you know, I was just honored to be there and, you know, having to compete against Tiffany, who I love, you know, and we're friends. And, you know, I was rooting for her. How do you figure that, right? I wanted her to win and I wanted me to win. <laughs> I wanted us both to win somehow. So it was it was so much going on. And the the randomizer is really... I've never seen anything like it. You know, as much as we have these really difficult baskets and the riddle of the basket is the hardest thing to solve, the randomizer is genius. Evil genius. Evil, evil genius. And it can, it can take down the best chefs, and it has, and it will again. <laughs> I mean, is it so random? You said you didn't want muscles, and it landed on muscles. So I, I don't know. Conspiracy theories abound. Yeah, I got thrown off a little bit by that because it was really probably the thing that I was dreading the most. And of course, I should know, right? I've been through yeah. this a million times. I should know that, that I'll get the thing that I don't want. I mean, what makes you, you want to compete in, in a competition like this? Not once, but twice. I mean, that seems like something that, you know, one and done. Like, you did it once, like, I'm good. Because I'm a masochist. I, uh... <laughs> You know, I think, and I do this all the time to myself, if I'm not making myself a little bit uncomfortable, then I'm really not challenging myself, you know? And I, and I think that you have to be constantly learning in any career. And if you're not pushing yourself into those super duper uncomfortable places, you're, you're not going to move forward. So I, I love Guy and I love that Guy has asked me back. I hope he asked me back again. Guy, are you listening? I want to do it again. So you would go back a third time. I would. You know what? The thing about being eliminated is I just wanted to stay and play. You know, I just wanted to keep going. You know, I just wanted another chance. And that's again, and the other thing about Tournament of Champions, you get one chance and that's it. I would do it again. I would, because as you know, chefs are really driven and I want to fix it. I want to do better. You know, I came in as number one seed and I only had one chance to do that. Now, where am I going to rank? <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I like competitive, that competitiveness, that, that spirit, like that makes you want to go back, not just to do it again, but just to, to better yourself and, and try to improve on, on your last experience. So I, I totally get that. Uh, before we let you go, I want to do a quick rapid fire round uh, real quick, like whatever first thing comes to your mind. So what's your favorite food trend right now? Plant-based. Plant-based. Okay, that's a, that's a good one. That's very trendy. What's your favorite dish to cook at home right now? Omelets. 
omelets okay all right i think who else said that tyler florence i think was talking about it's such a good breakfast lunch and dinner absolutely are you a beer wine or a cocktail person yes (laughs) that's that is the best answer to that question that could ever be that that was fantastic uh favorite bite or dish you've tried on chopped Oh, caramel orange miso cucumber skate by Madison Cowan. Wow. All right. That that was a that was a nice poll. What's your favorite show on Food Network that you are not on? Good Eats. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. Um, and finally, what's your favorite food city? San Francisco. It's still San Francisco. It's always been San Francisco. I'm still going to say San Francisco. There's other ones that are creeping up on my list, but San Fran, I love you. San Francisco is a great food city. I lived there for five years, so I uh, I, I second the, that it's great. But it's also a tough question because there's a lot of uh, good contenders out there. Um, one final question, our, our last one that we ask everybody on Food Network Obsessed, and that would be what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. You can time travel. You can spend absurd amounts of money. There's, th- there's no rules. Any chef can serve it to you. You can cook it, um, whatever you want. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Wow. Okay, so I would have breakfast at the Culinary Institute of America because when they did the commencement speech, they made me the best scrambled eggs ever. Um, I would have lunch. Oh, my God. I would probably have lunch in Paris at Arpege, and I would take my time, and it would be boozy and bubbly. And I would, I would have dinner in Bologna. I would just have a huge, I would start with Vitello Tonato and I have a big bowl of Bolognese Mm. and God knows what I would have for dessert, but I would hope there'd be some kind of chocolate cake. That, that, that seems like a pretty perfect day. I mean, starting, you know, starting with your roots and ending um, with some delicious meals in, in Europe. Sounds pretty nice right about now. Uh, we can uh, start let's traveling. Arrange it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Yes. International travel. Here we come. Thank you so much. It was so fun, you know, talking to you about about your life and your your life on Food Network as well. So thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Uh, a boozy, bubbly lunch in Paris. I'm in and I am officially ready for summer and travel again. You can catch Amanda on Food Network at the Chopped Judges Table. And as always, thanks so much for listening. And make sure you follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single thing. Of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday on Food Network Obsessed. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.